0: Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their minds. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, your source. For the best in RPG interviews, I am your host, Ryan Howard, and we've got a great one today, ladies and gentlemen. I brought on a, uh, a friend of a uh, former guest, Levi Combs. Uh, his name is Skeeter Green. He himself is an RPG creator, and we talked a lot about uh, creating good horror RPG elements Uh, for your games, and uh, specifically for my game, uh, I will go ahead and uh, just say up front uh, to my players in my Saturday game who listen to this podcast, skip this episode, listen to it later. Uh, I will tell you when it is okay to to listen to this episode, uh, but for right now, skip this one, because there are spoilers for the campaign in it, and I don't want you to hear that just yet. So, with that out of the way, yeah, I I had a lot of fun with this episode. It was a It was great talking to Skeeter. Skeeter's a cool guy. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Uh, just a couple of quick plugs up front. I first and foremost want to plug, uh, my good friend and player in my Saturday game who should not be listening to this right now. Namira. She is a Twitch streamer. She streams horror games appropriately enough. And, uh, she does a great job. There's a dog, there's a dog in her streams. You can find her at twitch.tv slash Namira. She does great streams. Uh, I believe Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday morning. So yeah, just just watch her stuff. Sometimes I'm in the chat. It's a lot of fun. And the other plug I want to give is we are just a couple of weeks away. Actually, we are just a little bit over one week away from the launch of Eldritch Foundry, which I am looking forward to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I am I'm unbelievably excited for the launch of this product. I I can't wait to see kind of how Matt and Joseph uh, finalized the uh, builder. You know, I can't wait to mess around with it. I can't wait to create my minis and and to get them and then to paint them. So as of not not next week's episode, but the week after that, I will be uh, giving a introductory review of the tool itself. And, uh, you know, the the options that they have available on launch and all that. I'll, I'll be interviewing the, the interface and the creation tool. And then when the minis come, I will paint them. I will put that stuff on my Instagram, which is at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg, for those of you who don't know. And I will do a full review of the product at that point. It won't be a full episode review, but it'll basically take this opening slot. But that launch happens on October the 22nd. I am, like I said, unbelievably excited, and I cannot wait to get my custom minis from them. So, with that out of the way, uh just just a couple quick things. Uh as you've noticed, I'm not really doing rants from behind the screen anymore. Uh that's eh, not really It was hard to come up with topics and I always felt like they were very scattered. So, a lot of that stuff is going to make its way into interviews if there's a topic that I really want to talk about one week, you'll you'll hear it in the interview. I do want to give a couple quick updates though. So, at the beginning of 2020, uh, just to kind of enter the, the new phase of this show's existence, I'm going to introduce a couple things. Uh, one, I am going to work really hard to introduce a video aspect and get a YouTube channel launched for this podcast. So there will hopefully be a video version available. I, I have a way to record the video. And, uh, yeah, I just need to need to get used to video editing again. It's been a long time since I've done that, so I'll need to get back on that horse and make sure that I can put out a quality product for you guys, but that is definitely a priority for the beginning of 2020. And the other thing is I'm going to be launching a website. It'll just be a landing page for all the various links. You'll be able to listen to the episodes on the website itself, and, you know, I'll, I'll upload my mini paintings there as well. And, yeah, it'll just be kind of a a landing place for those of you who are fans of Rollin' Bones. And I will be building that, like I said, again uh, at the beginning of 2020. So, yeah, just a couple updates there. Without further ado, though, let's get into the bulk of today's episode. We are going to be talking, like I said, to Skeeter Green, the guru of horror games. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, today on the show, we have a man who is described to me by Levi Combs of Planet X Games as the guru of horror RPGs.
1: He's a liar. (laughs) (laughs) He's full of shit. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Skeeter Green. Hello, everybody, and thank you, Levi, for uh, for the awesome opportunity here. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I wanted to have some kind of Halloween-ish themed episodes in the month of October. And one of them I have booked. I'm keeping that one as a surprise until the week before when I announce my episodes, because it's, It's kind of a big deal. But then the other one, I wanted to kind of do an episode where I discuss horror because I'm wanting to incorporate horror elements into my Saturday game. And so I approached Levi and I said, hey, would you be interested in coming back and doing this horror episode? And he said, yes, but there is someone who is better equipped for this. (laughs) And that was you.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate that very much. And I have my fingers crossed that your special guest is someone from Chaosium because I do love those guys so much. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a Halloween episode and you have any poll, you you want to have Chaosium on board. That's that's just my personal two bits.
0: Unfortunately, it's not one of those guys. Oh um,
1: damn! Now you're stuck with me. <laughs>
0: But no, no it is, it'll, be, it'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really cool episode. But of course, this will be a really cool episode. So, it will
1: definitely be interesting. I can mm-hmm. promise you that.
0: <laughs> All right, so Skeeter, we're going to start this interview the same way we start every interview with these same uh, introductory questions. So first and foremost, how did you get into RPGs?
1: That was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The The interesting thing is, I actually know exactly when it happened. Mm-hmm. There was, um, so I'm from Seattle, Pacific Northwest. My family was watching the uh, Seattle Super supersonics play for the nba championship at my aunt and uncle's house i got bored because at that time i was like seven or eight years old Mm -hmm. went downstairs to see what my cousin was doing and him and some of his school friends were uh sitting on the floor they had all these papers and shit spread out all over the place and they had these cool three little books and they were telling stories and i i have always been into stories. So I crashed down there and started listening to them. And then they actually told me it was a game and uh, they let me roll up a character and play. And I of course died, you know, almost (laughs) instantly because they had me go forward and uh, deal with some traps and whatnot, (laughs) not really informing me that, Oh yeah, you know, this isn't a story. This is a game and you're going (laughs) to die if you don't know how to play it. And guess what? You don't know how to play it. (laughs) <laughs> but that was actually really good because it pissed me off and it made me want to learn everything about this game. So, um, I got to borrow one of his books and I took it home and devoured it and just kept borrowing stuff and and kept getting into the game and then eventually I got uh the player's handbook. So the little the little books that I'm referring to are OD&D. This is old, 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 old school. Then the first edition AD&D Player's Handbook, and then the Dungeon Master's Guide, and then I just sat there and read that for you know a decade, and that was my start to D&D. Gotcha. And and forty years <laughs> later, I'm still a d nerd.
0: And so these were the these were the brown books. That, yeah, that this
1: yeah this was this was the box set which to this day I swear to God I wish I still had those books from him. I ended up getting a lot of his D and D stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, if, if I had that box set, I would uh, I would be a very happy
0: person <laughs> right now. It's it's funny how many people's D and D stories start with my older brother or older cousin essentially used me as the crash test dummy in the in the dungeon.
1: Well, I don't even have that cool of a story because my cousin is actually younger than me (laughs) and 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 all of his school friends they were they were in the advanced classes in their particular school you know Mm. and I was just the you know the big kind of jock not the smartest tool in the shed (laughs) type Uh, I eventually which is a great thing for D&D that actually made me pay attention in school and look up words that I didn't understand. And what are all these terms? I don't know what any of this is. And I did the research on my own. And uh, my wife is a school teacher. And fortunately, she's in the other room. So she's not going to hear this. I learned so much more from D&D than I ever did in regular school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Between D&D and movies and television, that is the education that I got. I would would see an idea or hear a story and I'd be like, I need to know more about that, mm-hmm. and and I just did it on my own. And I read these stories in school when I was supposed to be paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish I had uh, gotten into D and D before college,
0: and I probably would have done better in in my math courses in high school if I if I'd been into D and D at that time.
1: Yeah, it's um, there's. Depending on which version of D and D and I'm not about starting edition wars, but you know, there there are the more number heavy versions. (laughs) of D&D and it definitely I mean sometimes you need to put an algorithm together to figure out what your you know skills are and that that is just strictly D&D other game systems like Call of Cthulhu you know is because really for me those are the only two game systems and I know I'm gonna (laughs) get a ton of hate about that but I know what I like it's like art I can't describe it but I know what I like
0: Mm -hmm. So it's funny you mention D&D and Call of Cthulhu being the only two game systems uh, because the next question I have is what is your favorite game system?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say Pony Finder. No, uh, no. (laughs) My all-time favorite game system is Advanced D&D. First Edition Advanced D&D. If I get an opportunity to play that, I don't have a regular game group. So the (laughs) only time I play is at conventions and typically I am running games because uh, I feel like after 40 years, I need to give back and try to bring more people into the game. So that's that's what I try to do. Um, but yeah, if I can get into a 1E game, I love that. And if I can sit in on somebody's Call of Cthulhu game at a, at a convention, I'll crash that game. <laughs> I, I, I am that kind of jerk. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those uh, d and in in pretty much any version or generation, and Call of Cthulhu. Those are my those are my go tos.
0: Now, aside from your uh, your your first Meat Shield character that you described, uh, what was the first character that you played that you actually remember?
1: Probably character. God, it had to have been in the first half dozen characters I ever played because I was. I was back down in that basement and I was playing with those guys. And we were playing the hidden shrine of Tamawatchin or however you pronounce it. Everybody gets so wound up about that, (laughs) but I got charmed and murdered by the party. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one of the first lessons and it was a really good life lesson. It's like, you can only run your mouth for so long before somebody will kill you. Now, Fortunately, it was just in a game. <laughs> but yeah, some some real life events have also told me you should stop running your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, uh I used to I used to be a bouncer in Pioneer Square in Seattle and mm-hmm. there you you learn very rapidly if you're going to lip off to somebody, you better be able to back it up. So I stopped doing that job. <laughs> yeah, the
0: the guy who taught me martial arts he also used to be a bouncer. He was a bouncer at a country western bar in Charlotte, North Carolina called Coyote
1: Joe's. Yeah, he got in a lot of fights. Yeah. I'm, I'm and guessing.
0: The thing about him was when he was bouncing, he was five foot eight and he weighed about a buck fifty. Yep. So oh. every single person who came in and saw him in the in the security shirt was like, I'm picking a fight with that
1: guy. Yeah. One of the worst mistakes I made was in the last, you know, ten years, I was uh, training kickboxing and boxing because my wife wanted to have something to do during the summer, and I had been uh, a kickboxer and trained with Maurice Smith when he was in the UFC. It was one mm-hmm. of his training partners, and I didn't take a guy in the in the boxing gym seriously because he was smaller than me, and he was a trainer, but we put on a Uh, exhibition fight in front of about 100 people it was to try and get some notoriety for the gym and he busted my face he busted my nose fractured my skull it was bad news and this was a uh, exhibition the night before I asked my wife to marry me so (laughs) I we went to Disneyland and I asked her to marry me on Splash Mountain with (laughs) big-ass little raccoon eyes, a bunch of tape on my nose, couldn't breathe, could hardly talk. Yeah, it was... It was true love because she could have got literally any other guy (laughs) at that point. I was a train wreck. Mm -hmm. That's
0: like like Rocky and Adrian at the zoo after he gets out of the
1: hospital. Yeah, very much. And she loves turtles. So if I could have had two (laughs) little turtles, it would have been, you know, Yo, Jennifer! Which now I'm totally going to do. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> so getting back into the realm of, of RPGs. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally going to side rail all <laughs> of our conversations. It's all right.
0: It's all, you can. I always tell guests you can never talk too much on a podcast.
1: Oh, boy, you're going to regret saying that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I won't shut up. <laughs> okay, back to RPGs. Yeah. I'll try to focus. So uh, describe your play
0: style, both as a player and as a GM.
1: My style as a player, large, and I guess it's, it's both ways. My style as a player is uh, tends to be a disruptor. Like I tell everybody, I am an agent of chaos, <laughs> like me. Skeeter green. So when I play a character, it's my attitude in an avatar that has different abilities, but it's mm-hmm. always my attitude. I'm not one of those people that plays. Oh, I'm going to be a halfling and I'm going to act this way. It's like <laughs> no, I'm a halfling, but I still talk and act exactly like I do. Mm-hmm. I I have a good buddy that's writing a a superheroes game right now, and in the first playtest of that superheroes game I shot an important npc that he was going to have in later on in the game mm-hmm. so he completely changed the timeline and made that part of the backstory history in the game so so there's an alternate timeline the game hasn't even come out yet <laughs> and it's already been fractured because i i jacked up hmm. one of his adventures and it it largely depends on the group because if i am if i end up being like the most experienced person in there I'll try and take a step back and be a support role so I've played d and d for forty years I don't need to be the person in charge i can you know, stand back and let everybody else have that excitement because mm-hmm. that's the thing that I remember about D&D the most. Is when it was new, when it was new for me, it was new for everybody. Now, D&D is in pop culture so much, everybody sort of has a tangential touch to it if they mm-hmm. do any kind of gaming. So, I like to be kind of the support person. And if I'm running the game, I desperately want to mentally screw with people. <laughs> I want everybody to have mm-hmm. a good time, but I want them to say I did not expect that at all. And and in a good way. You mm-hmm. know, I don't I don't want to put out a shitty game, but I I also don't subscribe to the okay we're gonna go from point a to point b to point c and the game is over i want it to be hey here's point a okay what do you want to do and if they say oh i want to burn a village down it's like all right you light a village on fire oh guess what the militia that was out training they're coming back now we're gonna have a kerfuffle (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and you can the thing about gming for a long time is you've got a bunch of tricks in a bag and you can you can kind of maneuver and manipulate and handle players and just tell a big story that's the most important part for me is when this is done if somebody was transcribing the the whole thing it would be an epic tale. That's my most important thing. And always with the messing with people's heads. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Which I take it leads to you being uh, well-versed in in being a, a GM for horror campaigns.
1: I... I... <laughs> have some experience with <laughs> with horror campaigns so one of the interesting things I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. when you talk about horror mm-hmm. what because I feel like horror is different things to different people and it's made up of different elements like horror is part shock like Friday the 13th Yep, big giant dude comes out of the shadows with a machete cuts somebody's head off ooh blood guts blah. okay that's horror because it's shocking it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a surprise but that's not everything because like the psychological thr- thrillers base everything off of fear or the unknown and i think horror is very personal because if you're if you're the person running a horror game you have to know your players fairly well to decide what's going to be engaging for them and that's something uh this uh adventure that I'm writing right now. I'm trying to do it more cinematic. So I have a bunch of side boxes that says, hey, you know, in a movie, decapitated chicken would jump out of the closet at this point. You know, find something that has that shock value mm. to invest the players. So it's, it's a little weird, and I don't know if it's going to work because <laughs> it doesn't necessarily translate all that well to a tabletop game, but I'm trying it. Mm. We're going to see what happens. So that was, that was going to be my question for you, mm. was what do you consider horror? What's your flavor of horror?
0: So, so we'll get into that um, kind of once we start talking about the ideas that I have for my players. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we'll get into the the kind of horror that I I've been looking at because I have done a, a little bit of research. I've been planning this for a while, and so I have a a, a decent idea of the the type of horror that I am looking for. Uh, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, for now, though, uh, Skeeter, describe for me and in, in all your time playing, your fondest RPG memory?
1: Oh man, I I don't necessarily have one. I have been very fortunate with the people I know and uh, the people I've met through gaming and conventioning. I've gotten to game with all of the big names from the TSR days. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Cass, Errol Otis, Alan Hammack, you know, all of these guys that I that I saw their names in books when I was a kid and now I can sit down and, and shoot the shit with them. That is, that's more of just a general, that's a super fortunate thing that has happened to me um i can do this sappy one and and say you know when i took my wife to gen con and and she sat down and played and was super excited with her character and she got really invested and Mm -hmm. she's very bubbly and i'm like pit of hell in a human form so (laughs) our our duality surprises a lot of people Mm -hmm. but i think in general the best part of rpgs is when you see like a young kid play a game and really like it and then you know all right, we've got that one. Mm-hmm. That kid's going to be a gamer forever. Just because it it meant so much to me when I was a kid. I mean, I didn't have a super lot of friends and was very introverted. So like all I had for a lot of time was D and D. So um, seeing that other people can enjoy it, and of course, you know, all the years of working with Necromancer Games and Frog God Games putting out those books and then seeing that people loved it. I mean, they took it and they made it theirs and their group of friends is together. And, you know, I hear stories about, Oh, we've been having this campaign for, you know, going on 20 years and, and, and these books are a huge part of it and all that stuff. And it's like, Oh my God, there, there's nothing better than that. Um, the, the singular one moment that now that I have filtered through all the other ones <laughs> was uh, at Gen Con Fifty. Um, I was having a hard time in RPG business land, and I wasn't going to do it anymore. I was just sick of it, just tired. So we went to the the um display that was the history of D D. And we'd look through and you know, all the first books were there, and then the first edition stuff, and they had all these pristine copies. And they're from collections of people that I know. So I know all these people mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm telling my wife, oh, this is you know, you know this guy. This is his book and it's in this display. And we go through, you know, it's just a chronological timeline of all this stuff. And there's, you know, Dwarven Forge stuff in there, Stefan Picorney, cause my wife knows who she, who he is and so i'm pointing all this stuff out and we get around to the end and that's like modern stuff mm-hmm. and i'm looking at this book in the glass case and I'm, I'm like what the hell is that and it was the copy of bard's gate from frog god games that had the actual metal covers their their quarter inch steel covers it's just this weird audacious book But Bard's Gate is one of the books that I am the most proud of. The effort we put in, the whole team that worked on that just knocked it out of the park. And to see that in a display of the history of D&D sitting next to the other books of all the icons in there, that made me come back to writing and developing again. That was a big deal for me.
0: Gotcha. That's
1: that's a big one. It it was huge. Mm -hmm. And I totally gave... Uh, the other authors on the book a bunch of shit about it too. It's like, yeah, my book's in there. You guys <laughs> suck. Yeah, it's, it's not me mm-hmm. at all, but that's the camaraderie of working with the people I've gotten to work with. Mm-hmm. We can just absolutely give each other shit and yeah. we know when it's crunch time we can come together and and make fantastic books.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the working relationship you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well... Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you really do the relationship, you might not say that. One of these days I got to work with Levi. Absolutely. Levi he's, he's crazy. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah Levi is a really cool guy and I've only had the one conversation with him, but he seems like a really cool guy, but he his brain does not work the same way everyone else's does. No, that much I am sure.
1: Yeah, so uh, another longtime author for Frog God and Necromancer, uh, Casey Christopherson, mm-hmm. and you've probably heard that name from Levi. I think it was in his interview a bunch. Mm-hmm. Casey came to me when I was doing development for Frog God, and he, and he told me, I mean, for years he wouldn't shut up about. He's man, I got my boy Levi. He's got this idea to do these kind of grindhouse modules. You know, it's really kind of that grungy 70s you know movie kind of vibe but it but it's in tabletop man we got to get him hooked up and i was like that is not gonna work for frog god or necromancer so (laughs) i I don't know what I can do. They're not going to publish that. So. so I kept putting them off and putting them off and putting them off. And finally, Levi was able to release the stuff under his own label and mm-hmm. just killing it. Just a champ. But yeah, I knew about him six years ago, mm-hmm. seven years ago. You know, nothing but good things. And Casey is arguably one of the most prolific rpg writers ever Mm -hmm. and he can draw which which is me giving him shit because he's an art teacher and and he he's been art director on a bunch of books and he can draw i mean it's all right It's nothing special.
0: Well, we've we've had a lot of positivity here. Um, unfortunately, we now have to we now have to sink that ship um, because in I could RPGs, torpedo the fuck
1: out of that. <laughs> yep,
0: in RPGs, we have a certain type of player that we around our tables have come to call that guy. What is your best? slash worst that guy story
1: i've got a bunch the the one that i tell people about is when i was running a, a blind game at gen con um frog guy games was there we were all we had to run a game because that was just how gen con worked you had mm-hmm. x amount of time you had to fill so i said all right i will run a pathfinder game so i submitted a game for four to six people for a four hour slot according to their arcane formula at the time that wasn't correct so i ended up with a table of 12 for six hours so uh yeah unbeknownst to me so i get there i get to this table and i'm huge table and everybody's there and it's like (laughs) oh All right, man. The champ is here. Let's do this. So we start going, and I, I swear, it was not 15 minutes. There was a couple off to my right, guy and girl. They started having a um, relationship fight right there at the table, and we're not quiet, and we're not subtle, oh, and God. I mean, it got super awkward. So, so at the one hour mark, I was the good GM and said, "Hey." Uh, Let's all take a five-minute potty break. Anybody get some snacks, anything like that. So they got up and stormed off in separate directions. I'm like, well, shit, I can't corral them now. Everybody else stayed at the table, and I'm like, I am sorry. I don't know what to do. I am trying to make this cool for everybody else. And they're like, just save yourself, man. Just kind of, everybody else at the table was cool. But yeah, that went on for five hours. Some of the time they could pull it together and actually play the game, but it <laughs> it was Awful. And I'm sure if if they if they were not married, they broke up after that. If mm-hmm. they were married, they probably got divorced. It was bad. I mean, we we're they were talking about inappropriate. <laughs> it, it was awful. And and I mean, every convention has. You know, that guy who mm. knows more than you do and needs to point it out. I'm like, all right, cool. Do you, you feel awesome about pointing out that I don't know everything about this obscure rule? Cool. At least you had a good time that you, you tried to take me down. I'm going to forget you instantly. So, <laughs> But in general, I, I kind of have a spiel that I go through before mm. the game even starts. And it diffuses a lot of that. Uh, I typically also like to, I tell people the first half an hour of the convention game because it's completely different with convention games because you yep. have a set time and you know people mm. are trying to get to other stuff. So I, I try to make it pretty casual and I have like the first half hour be, okay, if you want to create your own character you are welcome to. If you want to use these pre-gens that I have made, you can use those. If you want to alter the pre-gens, it's basically the whole character creation process because I mm-hmm. think that's a very important part game because it lets people ask each other questions without being, yeah, I'm getting in your business. So like, mm-hmm. well, tell me about your character. What's your character idea? And then it loosens people up and then the, the rest of the game flows so much easier until I start killing. People. Yeah. <laughs> then it gets weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I don't mean their characters like I'll just take one person out machete yep. boom your shit's gone no I have never actually killed a player at my table I sometimes feel like I have to make that very clear there's a lot of jokes from mm-hmm. from my friends about uh, bearing bodies and, and plastic bags and shovels yep. and cars and stuff like that mm-hmm. which hundred percent legitimate I have all of that in the back of my car yeah anyway <laughs>
0: Fortunately the one time I ran a convention game it went incredibly smooth. So good. I will I will someday be doing that again.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. Please. We uh we've got sort of a posse that do a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. So please feel free to come on by and, and join our caravan of miscreants. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely be at next year's Gen Con. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm never going next-
1: back to Gen Con. So the, you're on your own with that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm making that a priority, but then uh, just I, I'm in uh, the Nashville, Tennessee area. So, oh,
1: okay. Anytime you, should def- you guys you should have definitely a, go to Gary Con. I've heard a lot about Gary. Con, and Gary I Con. Gary Con. On Halloween, we're also going to be at Game Hole in oh. Madison, Wisconsin. And I cannot say enough good things about Game Hole Con. That, there are definitely some memories and some interesting stories about Game Hole. Mm-hmm. Like the, the first time I went to Game Hole was that I wasn't going to go, and uh, Frog God Games was there. And they were doing a booth and all that stuff. And it was like, it was like the day before. And I I talked to my wife and I'm like, shit, I really want to go. And she's like, go, get on a flight, just go. So I booked a flight. It was a 36 hour turnaround. So I was flying out. I stayed the night and then had to fly back the next late night. But I got, I landed in Milwaukee and had to drive over to Madison. Have never done that before. And goddamn, it gets dark on that freeway with, with mm-hmm. all the cow fields yep, <laughs> there are no other people out there uh but i got a, like a spontaneous bloody nose as i was driving Ugh. and it just gushed <laughs> so i show up at the hotel and i i'm calling some of the people that are with frog and i'm like i don't have a room and they're like oh you're staying with me and i'm like i'm covered in blood there is blood everywhere in in the rental car and they're like jesus christ what did you do <laughs> So and I get out and I'm trying to explain. So I had this flannel this red flannel shirt and I figure okay, no crisis, I put it up to my face to stop this. I had managed to wipe blood all over my head. It is <laughs> all over my clothes. It is all over the front of the car and i'm like there's gonna be some regular wisconsin state patrol dude gonna pull me over and just shoot me on sight and bury <laughs> me in one of these fields but yeah that that was the first that was the first game hole and i've been back ever since <laughs> alex and the crew run a top shelf convention i'll
0: definitely have to give that one a shot one of these days yeah
1: it's it's fantastic. And a lot of special guests. Ton of the ton of Watsy guys go. A um, bunch of uh, the old TSR people who still live in Wisconsin. They all come down. I think there's like 80 million people that show up. No, I, I think there's <laughs> like 30,000 people or something. some Some mm. some ridiculous number is yeah. grown hugely every year.
0: I mean, yeah, I've been to Dragon Con, so I know how yeah. 100,000 people can feel like 100 million.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the last time we went to Gen Con, Gen Con 50... I think it was 75,000 people and I swore I would never go back. I mean it's a great show. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a blast but that's not for me at this point. Gotcha. Well, Skeeter There are some
0: lovely things that are a part of RPGs,
1: but then there are some things
0: that we just have kind of accepted that are maybe a little bit annoying. Some of these RPG cliches that we seem to have to deal with in all of our games. So Skeeter,
1: what is your least favorite RPG cliche? Alignment. I hate that. With a passion. Just Mm -hmm. probably because I'm so schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I understand the concept of guiding principles and i think if it if alignment was presented as a guiding principle that mm-hmm. that would make more sense or even a sliding scale like you start at neutral and whatever actions you do it would be like a, a chart like well, uh, apparently I've done enough good deeds. I'm I'm fucking paladin today. Mm-hmm. I know that's not how it can it can actually work out. But I I think pigeonholing somebody, pigeonholing somebody's morality for the life of their character is unrealistic. And and that could very well just be because I'm such a train wreck personally. Uh, no, I I, mean, I
0: totally understand that. And in a lot of the games that I've played in, um, there have been characters who have. Sh- shifted alignment, and because 5th edition Mm -hmm. really just goes, alignment's there right it's it's been like there it's not like in the old days where you lose a level if you act out of alignment so right it's and a little I, bit easier to do that but
1: and i think in a in a campaign setting it's less critical because you know the people that you're dealing with and you know if, if somebody wants to play a paladin you you get the kind of idea that okay they're they're a police officer they're they're generally trying to keep law and order i i don't go for the multi alignment. Paladins I think that's ridiculous. Paladins lawful good. Sorry Joe Manganello, you, <laughs> your dragonborn paladin is is not legit in my book. Um it's
0: all right, he does not listen.
1: He might <laughs> who who knows? Uh at Gary Con I was supposed to run a, I did run a game that he was supposed to be in, but he got the flu and and couldn't make it to my morning game, which made me very sad. No, he's and he's a really good dude. Mm-hmm. He he would he would give me a noogie cause he's nine feet tall. So yeah. yeah. Alignment is always the thing that I have the hardest. I'm very situationally ethical. So yeah. Alignment is a, is a hard one for me, which yeah. kind of of all the D and D mechanics, that is probably the easiest to throw away. Yeah. For, for, and descending armor class, <laughs> the way God intended it to be. <laughs> I know. I know. Ascending is so much easier to keep track of, but mm-hmm. it just bums me out. Mm-hmm. It hurts my little shriveled raisin of a heart.
0: Gotcha. And the last of our introductory questions, and Skeeter, this can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. If you could put penis! any,
1: <laughs> if you could
0: put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be?
1: A penis. <laughs> No, actually, uh, this is very funny that this is one of the questions. Um, A good friend of mine, Zach Glazer of Frog God Games, he is the Mm -hmm. chief operating officer, COO. It's him doing the job I used to do, only doing it like a professional and authentic thousand times better so in a in a chat um he was saying he was gonna do something or he didn't do it and i said god damn it zach and that became a thing in our little group of friends god damn it zach so one year i put god damn it zach on some t-shirts and (laughs) gave them to people and then other people not in our circle wanted the t shirt and then I started selling the t- the goddamn Zach T-shirts, and now we have a cult of seventy-something strong people with these goddamn Zach T-shirts, and it's fantastic because Zach will run into somebody wearing that T-shirt that he doesn't know who they are, and they don't know he's that goddamn Zach. So it's it's wonderful, and this always happens at game conventions and. I'll I'll like talk to people and say, Oh yeah, you know, I made those shirts and they're like, Oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And Zach is standing right there. <laughs> and then I'll just turn and be like, God damn it, Zach. And then like walk <laughs> away. Which is perfect because Zach doesn't know what to do because he's such a sweetheart, and these Mm -hmm. people have no idea what just happened. It's like you just screamed at this guy and walked away. The hell is wrong with you? So yeah, that's what I would put on a t-shirt because. Gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, now, uh, now that we're through the introductory
0: questions, uh, now I will answer the question that you posed to me earlier. (laughs) As far as uh, what kind of what I mean by horror. And uh so I'll start by telling you kind of the makeup of my Saturday group. It is my wife and Ooh, it is
1: gotta be delicate right there, right yes. off the
0: bat. And it is two of her very good friends who were both in our wedding. And all three of them, it is their first actual D D campaign. And so they are all uh, my my wife especially, and uh, one of the one of the others actually streams horror games on Twitch. So they're they're all into horror, okay. and I wanted something that would kind of appeal to that. And what I settled on, uh, because the world that I'm in is basically two continents are on the brink of war. And the idea that I had was that this war was entirely manufactured by this, for lack of a better term, almost a, a servant of Cthulhu, like a servant of an elder god that just wants death and destruction to reign supreme. And so he engineered this global war that's going to erupt at any second. And the horror aspect uh, that I'm playing with is, is cosmic horror, but once they actually get to the bottom of it and realize that this guy is the cause of everything they're going to have to go find him. And when they go find him, there is a nasty surprise waiting for them because I have this idea for almost an alien-type monster where from the second they set foot on his island, they are being hunted by something. And so the overarching okay. thing is cosmic horror, but the uh, the more focused what they're going to be dealing with in the game is being hunted by something. And the idea that I had for that something is it is a creature that adapts to the strategies they use against it. And so at one one point it will be crawling on the walls or the ceiling and drop down and they'll have a a certain strategy. But next time they run into him, he's flying. And the next time he comes out of the water or something like that.
1: Yeah, no, I am 100% behind this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that you have cosmic horror being led by a guy basically boots on the ground is mm-hmm. my love of H.P. Lovecraft. I, I honestly don't give a shit about the H.P. Lovecraft monsters. Mm-hmm. and I mean, Cthulhu, everybody loves Cthulhu. Haster, you know, all of these. They're so beyond what people can do. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of loses something for right. me. My thing is the cultists that worship these things. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to be so depraved that you are going to have blood sacrifice for some being you can barely even comprehend, you're creepy. And, and I like you, mister. <laughs> you, the creepy train has pulled right up to your station. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that is fantastic the biggest thing i would say so when when you say they enjoy horror is it is it the blood and guts is it the shock value scared jump out of a, a dark room or is it the thinking about the impending doom and the unknown what what's the part that grabs them the most in your So the,
0: the thing that they seem to enjoy the most is kind of the horror atmosphere the the mm-hmm. the feeling of constant dread the feeling that kind of the thing you were talking about the the beyond there's there's this overarching darkness that right. is inescapable.
1: So like I was saying earlier about horror being a stew. I think I think you have the shock value because you have to have something unexpected. Mm-hmm. That that's That's a hallmark of horror. Um, Also having something that is unknown. So uh, the implication of what's coming after him. So so much more atmospheric. Um, When, when whatever this creature is comes to attack the first time, it just barely swipes through their clothes. I mean, always make it miss the first time. So the, the claws can tear through a cloak or leave a big scratch in the armor. Mm -hmm. Cause one of the things I can't, I always have all these great quotes, but I can never remember who actually said them. And it it might be Stephen King. Nothing that you write for horror is going to be as terrifying as what they are thinking in their head. So, so you, you can't describe something that's going to be as terrifying as what, like your wife's friend is going to think about. Like if you say, you know, you're, you're approaching the edge of a forest and there are some tall reeds and grasses and it seems like they part, but you can't see what's between it in the darkness and then it closes up. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a vision of this, you know, giant 16-eyed monster that looks like a spider and Pennywise is one of its legs. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. they are going to go way off the rails. Mm-hmm. and so that's where you have to kind of pull back and just give the very vague descriptors to set the atmosphere. And then what I like to do is have bad guys that are recurring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they come, they make an attack and the the players start to or the characters start to win against the big bad and then it gets away. And it's like good damn it that is the most frustrating thing in the world and you can't do it too much or they think it's just unbeatable but a great thing in a case like that is invisibility i mean it's in the game so have something that comes in even if it's just the first round like a a displacer beast is is terrible the first time anybody ever ever faces it because it's like okay i attacked this thing oh shit it's over there I totally missed. Maybe I can't do anything to this. And then that feedback loop of maybe I can't protect myself starts to work on the players. So even if it's small things, and this is part of the, the mental fucking with people that I do in my games all the time. If they're fighting goblins, I'll be like, okay, you know, they they say, oh yeah, I rolled a 19, I hit him. And I'm like, okay, you roll a 19 and your sword stops right in the neck meat of the goblin it seems like it does no damage and then the whole table is just like oh my god what do we do it's like all right well you know try to attack something else one round of combat is not going to make a difference but the mm-hmm. atmosphere is huge so yeah if you if you have something like um doppelgangers are one of the untapped treasures of D D mm. that that's in the the book that I'm writing. I've got one in there because it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And then if you can get another thing you can do, which is more atmospheric is you start taking the players away from the table, say, Hey, I gotta, I gotta tell you something, you know, and you have a side conversation. Then mm-hmm. it starts to put the seed of doubt in their heads. Like, okay, are they going to turn on me? And having cultists, if they're ingrained in the society around the players like have uh you know they're at an inn. maybe one of the characters notices a weird tattoo on the arm of one of the the bar staff and it looks eerily similar to the sign of whatever outer god there is too when you can make things freaky like that and and work up the atmosphere that really helps then then the the monster that comes it's not so much the focus because they've had all this you know you have a combat with a monster that is supposed to be scary that's a very finite amount of time but if you're messing with somebody the whole rest of the time and then they have this combat and they're like we defeated them we can do this they get so excited and it's like oh it was the same monster it always was it's just you were so amped up all with the build-up to it mm-hmm you know, the payoff is better. Gotcha. That's my atmospheric idea. <laughs> yeah, that... And trying that... to explain that in, a, in an adventure path, not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> but there are <laughs> game mechanics that, that help with that. Like mm-hmm. in 5th in edition, they have exhaustion. Well, maybe when whatever this, this bad thing comes in, it comes in at night and everybody just can't quite wake up to fight. And you Mm. give everybody a level of exhaustion, so they're so they're a little bit reduced. And describe, you know, describing like you you feel very groggy, and you know, you just you're you're not on the top of your game, and just your sword feels heavy, and your armor just dragging you down. You get into those kind of descriptors, and then you use a simple mechanic, and you have in game terms you have one level of exhaustion so then they're they're reduced in game so everything is getting harder and they have this overwhelming dread it's almost kind of like an improv group and acting Mm -hmm. i mean you you, you've got to you've got to sell the terror which i think is something that rob zombie said in one of his movies or about one of his movies or something I mean, mm-hmm. you you really gotta. It's a performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're playing a game, but as a GM, especially in horror, you you have to get player investment. If you don't have player investment, you might as well not even do it, because then it's just there to like, oh, that's silly, and then they ruin it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. so that has been my experience with scary
0: well skeeter we are running up against our, our time here so i am going to turn the rest of this episode over to you to promote anything that you have coming up anything you want to talk about uh Go ahead. The floor is yours.
1: Um, I my company SGP has put out a module crypt of the science wizard. Um, it's uh, I again. It was one of those sci-fi authors that said any sufficiently advanced society science is indis- indistinguishable from magic. That between that and Doctor Doom, I, I kind of had this <laughs> idea for a, for a big bad guy, and that's what I wrote. It's uh, kind of an Egyptian flavored temple that has a bunch of traps in it and they are not the traps that are supposed to hinder you these traps will freaking kill you and uh, i've i've play tested it a number of times and nobody has found this the secret middle nougat of the candy bar (laughs) so it's, it's been pretty deadly uh i have another uh adventure series not using adventure path because i don't know if that's copyrighted by anybody any particular company based here in the northwest but it's it's trying to get the characters and the players to catch a serial killer and it's not all that easy to write a, a cinematic <laughs> serial killer chase. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of investigation. So the first, the first part of the adventure is kind of slowish just because you're gathering background information. Mm-hmm. But when the floodgates open, the floodgates freaking open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the last part of the. Um, the last part of the adventure is a murder house. I mean, we could call it that. I suppose it's haunted in the in a very abstract sense, but it's gory and bad mm. stuff will happen to you if you, if you mess up. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've got going. And uh, I'm going to be interested to hear how your campaign shakes out. Gotcha. Absolutely.
0: And uh, time really got away from us in this episode. Uh, I, I would... <laughs> I, I honestly feel like I could do another hour just, just talking about stuff like this with you, Skeeter, and I'm not blowing smoke. I, I do Oh mean well that. I
1: appreciate it. I yeah, if if you want to do it again, I'm your horror guy. And and I want to make sure I have that last or in there because if I just say I'm your horror guy, that that is a whole different connotation. hmm Absolutely. Well, Skeeter, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Um next week we are going to be talking to another member of my old D D group. We're gonna be talking to kyle smith he is the one who famously uh turned on his god as a paladin without telling his god that he was just kidding and lost all his powers while my character kicked his ass so we will be reliving that
1: story hey actions have consequences
0: absolutely we'll be reliving that story and many more as uh as kyle has kind of a pattern with his characters but that will be discussed next week so until then uh skeeter do you have a message that you want to send out to anyone else?
1: Thanks, Levi. And uh, I'll see everybody at Game Gamehole uh, October 31st through that Sunday. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a paid staff, man. Uh, we are dressing up, though. And my lovely wife is going as well. So we are going to be uh, Pixar characters, I believe.
0: Yeah, so if you are going to Game Gamehole, uh, definitely check out what Levi's got going on there. Are you going there with Frog God? this time
1: um no it's just me and my wife going as guests but yeah we'll be hanging out at the frog god booth because we always do i like to abuse those guys
0: all right well guys that's going to do it for today's episode so until next time
1: farewell thank you